I love helping women. I love, especially moms, because that myself as a mother, I know the struggles of not having money and thinking that I can't afford a coach or a mentor or someone to help me build my business. If I had the resources that I wish I had back then, I know I would have been a lot better off. I wouldn't have struggled for the first three years. Yeah. And so I create services and products and offers to help somebody who's financially in a situation that can't figure out how to start her business. Welcome to the Pursuit of Evolution. I'm your host, Casey Jordan. This is the place to be for open-minded folks looking to build self-trust and be proactive as they grow through life-changing moments. We go beyond inspiration to give actions and resources every episode. And with that, let's get into the show. But where my sweet spot is, is once I've helped them start their business, now they're in the situation where how do I scale? How do I create a $2 million to $10 million business now? How do I automate my processes? How do I you know, create systems in place? And instead of doing the work, how do I get paid more and attract high ticket clients who will pay me for my knowledge rather than actually doing the work? Right. So we all have to start somewhere. And so when I, you know, everything from direct sales, door-to-door sales, I, I've done it all. Sales and marketing, business development. The last five years of my corporate experience was in HR management. And all these setbacks and all the times I got laid off was actually a blessing in disguise because when I look back at my life and everything flashes, I realized I've been on this path to greatness and now it's all starting to make sense. And all of the pieces of the puzzles are just falling into place of how do I utilize communication to help you create a message so that you can attract your internal and your external audiences. And this helps companies by one is how do I retain my employees? How do I create amazing, stellar, high caliber talent and employees that love what they do? And the other one is how do I attract the clients who love my products and services and continue to buy from me, regardless of all the other competition? They're loyal, loyal, loyal. And, and this is what people don't understand is when you're marketing, you're attracting two different types of people. It's those who are wanting to work with you and those who are working for you and why they should stick around mm, and not yeah. go chase, you know. So for me, I do attract two different audiences. One is it's the companies and organizations and the corporate world for like leaders and developing their team and culture. But where I thrive and where I'm passionate and I get excited is when I meet entrepreneurs who are, you know, just trying to make a living. (laughs) They're tired of working nine to five and not feeling appreciated. They're thinking, do I stay at my job or do I start my own business? And whatever goal that is, you know, we're going to try and figure this out. So I kind of allow the safe space for people to really just think about what do they really want? What were they really created for? What is my true purpose? And am I walking in my true purpose every day? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you can help me figure out what is that, that I do, I'm all ears. Cause I'm right. still trying to figure that out. And first and foremost, though, I think I, Casey, I, I just, I, I give from my heart. I listen from my heart. Yeah. And I think all of us are born you know, if we're all born in God's likeness, I always say we're, we're born to serve others. Right. We're born in service. Right. But it's also not forgetting to love ourselves first and foremost and respect ourselves too. And I, this has been a long journey for me. I'm 46 years old now. And I'm realizing like when I show up authentically happy, authentically full as me, I shine brighter. I'm more tuned in and, and more authentic. And I believe that being that vulnerable and that transparent is I think what resonates a lot of yeah. people. Yeah. To me. I think so. there's a really fine line between like figuring it out, figuring out like what you said, what we're made for and how we are to serve people mm-hmm. and surviving capitalism. <laughs> so yeah. like oversimplify, you know, and I've been fighting that urge of like, yeah. I want to <laughs> make more money, but why? And how do I do that in an ethical way? And how am I serving people? And like, for me, it is coming out. I'm coming to the realization of 38. I think I'm finally figuring this out. To me, it's two very distinct businesses. And one is 
very logical, very practical. It's business strategy stuff. And the other is this whole pursuit of evolution thing because I'm fascinated by stories and I'm fascinated by personal evolution. And I need that human side Mm -hmm. that doesn't show up in the analytical side of the business. Like I love the analytics and I love the emotional and I have failed to keep combining them into a single business. I'm like, why don't, why don't I just run two businesses and see how this goes for a while? So, so this is an ever evolving, I call it battle. Yeah. <laughs> so as a female, we're raised in a very alpha masculine world. Yes. We're, we're taught, I mean, at least I was, and I don't want to, I was taught to be the best, to be the smartest, to not make a mistake, yeah. to be humble, but to also, you know, to be submissive, to be dominated, to be like, you know, you, I got, I had so many things that were taught and programmed to me that did not serve me. Yeah. It served me well in the corporate world because, you know, I was the first in my family bloodline to ever graduate high school, to graduate college. So I had a lot of pressure on me to really be successful And my parents chased the American dream because they were the first, and we were immigrants from Laos and chasing that American dream. I mean, back during the, you know, the early eighties, I was faced with a lot of, you know, racism and people were very unkind and, and they were mean. And so my parents who were already raised in a time of war and fear and not trusting people here we are uprooted in a new country where we didn't speak the language very well. We didn't know anybody and facing more of that. So it just instilled more fear in us. And so I raised up, I I was raised being afraid of every, everything, Yeah. you know, and I always share this part. It's like, you know, my parents did the best they could. They, they gave me the blueprint of what the American dream looked like. It's, you know, get a good education, get a good job, get married and have kids. And I'm looking at this blank page after having the kids is like, what comes after the kid? Right. And my mom's answer was, that's just life. That's just life. And like, with the big question mark, I'm like, what the hell does that look like? Yeah. And my mom, I remember saying, it's not always going to be happy and it's not always going to be easy. And I don't know why that resonated with me for a long time, but it was like, well, nobody taught me the blueprint then. How do you get through those hard times? How do you get through those days where you don't feel like it? How do you get through those days when you're fighting with your spouse? And, you know, it's like, there were so many taboo things that we just didn't talk about in my culture. And so being in the corporate world, I saw what you called out of this capitalistic ego mentality. And it was always about the bottom line. And I saw myself contributing to that. And especially in certain industries, like I was in healthcare in the last year, my HR, you know, profession. And I realized I'm only one person. And this is a huge system that was created to feed the system. And it wasn't to keep us healthy. And it wasn't to fix our problems. And me going through, I I was, you know, I was, I had depression and, and some mental challenges. And so you know, all my doctors wanted to just put me on scripts. And so when I realized there was personal development available, I went off my meds cold turkey. I started myself in exploring the mind and the human evolution and the human performance of being able to endure. Mm-hmm. And that started my personal development journey about seven years ago. And to this day, I'm an advocate for mental wellness and being, you know, an advocate for suicide prevention, just because it runs my own family. I've also, am a survivor as well, you know, and how much fear can be debilitating and how much it can turn or take over your life. And if I can survive that, and and I always put the disclaimer, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a licensed medical professional, talk to your physician before you do this. I said, but my own experience was, I I rejected all the medical professions that told me that, you know, I had these issues and I'm like, I know I'm not crazy. We ran multiple tests that show I'm not crazy. (laughs) I'm not, you know, and I don't mean to disrespect anybody who's, who is diagnosed with, you know, any of those, but for me, it's like, I wanted to get to the answer of why did I think this way? Why do I feel this way? Why am I so sensitive? And 
all those things and nobody could answer me. And I remember thinking though that I didn't want to go through life feeling like I'm numb. Mm-hmm. And so I ditched all the meds that day and I did the work. And this has been the hardest work Yeah, is loving yourself, respecting yourself and fighting through those dark days. I still have those thoughts, but now I'm aware of those thoughts. And then I have the tools and resources to help me reframe those thoughts and transform those triggers into truth. So I talk about what is your truth? What is your purpose, your highest purpose of yourself? And so a lot of my coaching, it's not always about marketing and social media and how do I close a sale and convert? That may be the top lying issue. But when I get down to, when I drill down into understanding what is your relationship with money? Why do you feel you're not worthy of receiving that? It's more a story of worthiness. It's always about worthiness. What's my value? Who am I to ask? Who am I to receive this? Who am I to deserve this? You know? And so a lot of my sales calls, it's not always about the money. It's about the person, the beliefs, and the fear behind it. And it's a very eye-opening experience because I had to go through that, you know? So I don't think you can... Yeah. I mean, the more I look, like watch other entrepreneurs, the more mm-hmm. I do my own personal development, like there's no one right answer. And at some point it always goes deeper than like, how do you mm-hmm. close the sale? Like mm-hmm. there is that, like, how do you actually connect with your right people? And like, that's a thing I'm going through right now is like, how do I stop masking and being who society told me I'm supposed to be like, I, you know, grew up a tomboy, which meant all these certain things about how I was supposed to behave. And I was in the military and Mm -hmm. there's a certain like trained professionalism, you know, and all these things I'm like, but that's not, none of those feel right to me. And so like learning to, and it's like you, we were talking about like that thing of standing on stage and crying. I used to do a lot of public speaking about living with post-traumatic stress and a traumatic brain injury. And I always cry on stage. And part of it is a function of my brain injury. Like I can't control it. And mm-hmm. I used to hate it so much and like more anxious by trying to stop that. And I did a TEDx talk and I cried, <laughs> I cried through like half of my TEDx talk and I got off stage and everyone's like, but that's what we loved is because it was so raw and it was so yeah. real and it was so yeah. you. And I was like, oh. that's what connects us as humans. Yeah is having those raw emotions. And we're taught in a world where you're not supposed to like, yeah. you know, so I talk about social beliefs, social, social and cultural beliefs. And then there's religious spiritual beliefs that we're taught to. Yep. And I'm being very, very mindful of how I raise my son to be a well-rounded, healthy, independent, self-loving, self-respected little boy. And when he has those emotions, it's like, I allow him that space to, yeah. to feel safe, that it's okay for you to feel what you feel, honor, acknowledge your feelings. And then it's like, then we move on, right. you know, but, but we're taught to suppress it, to deflect it, to deny it, to acknowledge it, to ignore it. And then it's hanging on into our depths of our souls and our bodies. And it shows up as other forms of things. Mm-hmm. And so you releasing all of that emotion when on stages, you, you were holding it all in. Yeah. And it needs to come out. And so I always tell people like crying is part of healing. You've got to let it out. You got to let it go. You got to acknowledge it, honor it, hold it, respect it, accept it, look at it. And then how can you transform it so that it doesn't trigger those emotions? And I said, and it may never go away. I said, when you can do it in a healthy way with boundaries, that's when you can start transforming. I don't say fix it. None of us needs to be fixed. Like we all, I feel like, I think the right, the rights of, passage or whatever it is it's like if you can survive life you're a certified life coach right right you're a living breathing organism yeah and you are doing the best you can and I always say that you're in this physical container that you were chosen to be in and I think we're here we're meant to experience the most we can out of life and I always say it's always squeezing the juice out of everything that we can experience and, and having the best experience ever it's like how do you want to look at that experience and the perspective of life is you know that I chose that's more empowering more loving is life is happening for me 
and I can choose to accept it as a gift or a blessing. Right. And when I discovered that question and that awareness for myself, that's when it, everything in my life just shifted. Because mm-hmm. I used to think, oh, why did I, why was I born into this? Why are we living here? Why was I born Asian? I hate this culture. Like, why was I picked on as a kid? And, right. you know, why am I hated because I was little? You know, like yeah. all these things. And I feel like culture and society, I think, is also evolving. Mm-hmm. And the workplace is evolving. I mean, even before COVID, the pandemic, I, you know, I had the foresight to say, to see this has to be done differently. Technology and internet was coming into the space and people were just trying to do business as usual. And it's like, your species is going to die or it's going to evolve. Yeah. That's what branding really is, is like, it's an evolving identity. Right. As you grow, so will your business, so will your brand. And I feel like, I think that's just part of life. Yeah. Evolve, evolution, evolve, change, adaptability, acceptance, and love and respect. And how do we maneuver and navigate through this? Like everybody was using that word pivot. It's like, stop using the word pivot. You're not pivoting. You're evolving. Exactly. You're, you're exploring something that's going to work differently. Yeah. Like, so... As I know, like, you know, I'm not the same person I was, you know, two days ago, let alone right. five, 10 years ago. Right. And so I'm kind of embracing the masculine side, but I'm also allowing myself the grace and the humility and the honor of the feminine that is trying to come out. And I feel like that's where we're all meant to operate from. Yeah. Yeah. I love so, that. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, what you're saying is essentially the root of like, how this show came into existence is I can't pivot my world and pretend like I never was deployed to Iraq, that I never went through infertility, that like these are a function of who I am, but I don't have to stay in those spaces. And so like a lot of times when I talk about Iraq, I tell the best stories because there was a lot of like amazing and fun things that happened amidst a lot of chaos and horrible things. But like I get to choose what I carry forward with me out of that. And so mm-hmm. like letting, letting myself grow from each of these things. And like you said, we have to honor those parts of us. And so yeah. I'm going to pivot here. Ironic choice of using that word. Okay. But so we've had this, we were talking via email. I want to talk about your name. So this story about your name, because. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, and I love this because, so I referenced this. And this goes to the masculine and feminine thing is where this popped into my mind is my given name is Cassinda. Mm. I have never gone by that. Thank you. And I have never gone by that name. Even my birth announcement, like my mom knew from the minute I was born, I would be called Casey. And so my, even my birth announcement said Cassinda, Casey, you know, my whole name on it. Yeah. And she said, and it fit me because I did grow up to be a tomboy. She, what she wanted, my name is spelled back in the 80s, typically only boys spelled Casey, C-A-S-E-Y, and girls spelled it with a K. And my mom intentionally picked the masculine spelling so that conducting business, I would have a masculine presenting name because that's what my mom has too. And it served her well, but she gave me the name Cassinda. Because if I ever grew up to be an opera singer, then I would have a beautiful stage name, which Mm. is kind of a joke because there's no reason I would ever be an opera singer. But, and as a child, I hated it. I hated Cassinda because it was different, because it was girly, because all of those things. And now here in my late thirties, like, I don't, I don't care. Like, I don't, I won't choose to like, I won't go back and use that (laughs) Mm -hmm. name now because I am Casey, but like, you know, I have a friend who periodically calls me Cassinda and like, it just kind of makes me giggle now. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. I just, I think, I don't know, there's all of these things we've been talking about. I, I love, I love hearing about this. So very similarly, like our, every generation passes on an imprint or a blueprint and it's passed on to another generation to another generation to another generation so it's interesting to hear that your mother who imprinted on you her desires and her goals for you as a girl in in her vision of 
allowing you to choose. Maybe someday you'll be an opera singer. Maybe someday you'll be in a very male dominated world, which ended up happening and giving you the choice of being able to decide. Yeah. Right. And you still do, you're still young. Oh yeah. And I still see that battle between the masculine and the feminine. And I think as humans, all of us have that fight because if you look at scientific genes, we're made of both male and female chromosomes. So I just, I love looking at it. I love accepting it. And I love seeing like all the different facets and the dimensions of it. And like you growing up, all I wanted was to look like all the other kids. I wanted to be blonde hair, blue eyed, white skinned, right? Because being unique is not normal. You're kind of out of the norm. Well, ironically, I chose a profession where branding is you got to set yourself apart, (laughs) right? So how stupid is that? I didn't know that. (laughs) I just wanted to fit in. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be part of the normal race mm-hmm. and everything that was screaming to me physically, mentally, and emotionally, it was like, you're not like everybody else. You weren't meant to be like everybody else. And it took me 40 years to finally realize I was not meant to fit in. I was not meant to look everyone else. I was not meant to be blah, blah. And until I turned 40 was when I finally fully appreciated my name. Actually, it was probably when my dad passed away and I was trying to figure out if I was going to take my husband's name or keep my maiden name. That was a very tough decision for me because my dad had passed away the year before and me letting go of my maiden name was almost like that final decision of separation from my dad. But this whole journey with my name started when I was, I was sixth or seventh grade and we had a English assignment was to do research on our, our birth name, find out the origin and what it means. And we had to do a paper and present it. Yeah. So lo and behold, I went through and found out what is the meaning of my name? Why did my parents name me that? When was I born? And then I looked at our last names and what the derivative origin of that last name word it meant. So in Thailand, the word Sang, S-E-N-G, actually means family of. So you're a family of, and then whatever your, 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 your household name is. Gotcha. Yeah. And our last name was Chantavong. My main name is Chantavong, C-H-A-N-T-H-A-V-O-N-G, 11 letters. And I hated it because again, it was so long and so different. People can pronounce it. Uh-huh. And I hated the first day of school and everybody made fun of me. And, but that meant a family of stars. That was the meaning of our last name. It's a family of stars. And my First name, Selena, because I was born in the evening dusk when the sun was setting. It actually means sun. And that's what my name means. It's sunset. That's beautiful. So here I am, the sunset in the family of stars this was my name. So when I looked at the Greek words, because a lot of words in the English dictionary are derivative from the Greek original language. So Selena is the goddess of the moon. Oh. So when I correlated all these things with the sun setting and the, amongst the stars and hearing the goddess of the moon, I was like, oh, this is a very spiritual like journey for me was to coming back to seeing that my name had true meaning and it wasn't just some random whatever. And I started to accept it a little bit more. I started to look at it with love rather than hate and anger and resentment, because I think at age 11, I wanted to legally change my name to Samantha. Yeah. And going through my journey and all the life things that happened and the milestones that happened and trauma and all that stuff, I realized that my spelling of my name, which the first four letters is soul has, I really feel like has been already written in the stars of what my path is supposed to be like. Yeah. And so it's really a journey back to my soul and, and loving and healing that, that part of me that, you know, needed to be loved mm-hmm. and respecting my name, honoring and respecting my fa- father's name and being more proud. And like, again, it's honoring, you know, honoring my name and loving my name and accepting that I was made to be different. I was born different. I was made to look different. And now when people see my name or they spell my name or they hear my name, it's like, they're going to remember me, right? Yep. So 
I'm known as soul, coach soul. And everything I do is has soul in it, my soul purpose. And uh, there's these truth bomb cards. And when I, it was at an event <clears throat> and this one stays on my desk and it says, soul is rooting for you. And this was during a time when I needed it. Like when I almost gave up on my business and went back to corporate, like I was looking for jobs thinking I can't do this anymore. And I'm realizing like, this is all a journey of, of my soul, soul searching, you know? And so I kept, I decided to take on my husband's name. Cause I felt like this was a time where, you know, dad is gone. I'm now being released to marry this husband who my dad gave his blessing to. And I want to start this new chapter of my life and having my son, it's like, this is, my name is tied to my son's name. And so I kept the last name stone just for legal reasons. It makes it easier for us when we travel because we're divorced. And so, you know, in my heart strings is pulling me back to going back to my main name someday. Yeah. So we'll see. Interesting. But, um, but I love, I've, I've now grown to love my first name. It's, you know, it's pronounced Solinia. It's, it's Thai. And, and only my father <laughs> ever called me by that name correctly. <laughs> but being raised here in America and first day of school, I would tell people just phonetically spell it the way you can pronounce it because it is a little bit unique. I used to call it funky. Um, yeah. Okay. But um, it makes me unique. And I think that we're all born in a very unique, distinct way. And it's, we're all beautiful. We're yeah. all beautifully created. And so I love unique names. I love, you know, I've always called people by their, their full names, whether you're Douglas or William oh, yeah. or Robert, because it's me honoring that part of you that your family took the time to really think about what your name meant. Right. So I always do this as an experiment. It's one of my experiences where my clients is, you know, go find the origination of your name. It's part of your soul. It's part of your soul print. It's who you are. It's your God-given name. And at some point, if you decide this is not the name that I feel like I should continue as, then that's your own personal journey. I know a lot of people, when they transform or shed their old identity, they take on a new identity as kind of like they've awakened, they've risen as a different person. So a lot of times, whether it's through baptism or through personal development, and they've transformed sometimes people will change their names so yeah but it's a it's a it's a soul soul journey and everybody's journey is different so yeah I love that that's such a great story like you said there's there's so much power in our names and so it's interesting too because my middle name I have a half brother and growing up we had different last names we each had our dad's last name we have Mm -hmm. different dads and so my middle name and my brother our middle name is our mom's maiden name so oh, that we would always have a name to connect us, even though we had different dads. And I loved that. Like, I love it. I don't love the name because I got made fun of. It's Riggleman and it's a very uncommon name. Hmm. And so I used to get teased for it as a kid because nobody right. like, I didn't know how to spell my name. Cassinda Riggleman. I didn't know how to spell my name till like I was like 11 because <laughs> hmm. I didn't use Cassinda. And hmm. so similarly, like so then when I got married, there was that same conversation of like, well, do I take my husband's name or do I keep the name I was given? Do I keep my family name? And I had right. kind of, yeah. the the story for me was that like, I'm not connected to my dad's family at all. It was a very unhealthy situation. So I, yeah. I know one uncle in that entire branch of my family and a rough relationship with my dad and his mm-hmm. death. And so for me, like there was that kind of shedding of the skin and like, I'm not really strongly connected to my maiden name. And so for me to take my husband's name was like, right. Uh, that rebirth, mm-hmm. that next step that like, okay, this is where I'm at now, but it was also an easier decision to make. Cause I have that middle name that I share with my family that I share right. with my mom and my brother. And so like, yeah, it's just, and it's so funny. Cause you like in passing, especially I think for women, there's kind of this like, oh, like, are you going to, people talk about kind of the archaic practice of taking a husband's name. And I'm like, but for me, it was like this whole bigger, yeah, except being accepted and loved by his family and mm-hmm. wanting to honor that, like, not just him, like his whole family took me in and like right. my connection with my family. And so like, I, I love that you actually like push your clients to go explore their name. Cause I think a lot mm-hmm. of us don't know or by the time mm-hmm. we get into our 30s and 40s, we kind of forgot the history yeah. and the story of our name. And it's just a label we <clears> slap <throat> on ourselves. So my my program that I created, it's all a 
it's a, it's a program designed to really help you discover what your true purpose is. We have different parts where we figure out, where we ask the question, what is my true purpose? What is my purpose? Well, if you can't understand the origin of why you were born and why you were given the name you were given, and this, I always say, it's always this, it's this journey of coming back to, to self-love. What we grew up thinking was out there has always been in here. And I did the work. I've been doing the work. I am doing the work. And that's the reason why I created this program because my heart, I literally poured my heart and soul into this. And it's because I know that it's a very profound meeting Mm -hmm. of loving and accepting and seeing who you really are and loving and forgiving all the parts of you that you think are so horrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we grew up talking to ourselves. Like I hate my name. I hate the way I look. I hate that I'm short. I hate that I'm, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, I'm not too small. I'm not too thin. I'm not too short. I'm perfectly created, yeah. right? My height is perfect for me, you know? Cause I grew up being short. I was short, petite and little. Right. And everybody thought my brother and my sister were older than me but I was the oldest, but I was the smallest. And I can joke about it now from stage and say, you know, my mom didn't have prenatal care because we were living in Laos and she was in a concentration camp. So who knows what she was smoking back then, you know? <laughs> like, so I said, if you're going to make fun of me and the way I look is because she didn't have any prenatal care, you know? So right. I make a joke of it. She doesn't think it's funny, but I think it's funny. But, you know, all jokes aside, it's like I was perfectly created in the, in the things that I was taught as a child from other kids. This is another thing too. They are just honest, like they, they, they don't think about what they're saying and they just say what they see. And, and I think what happens as adults and what culture and socialism teaches them is like, you know, we can be mean. Those kids can be mean. They're saying things that are just not nice and not kind. But I think as adults, we all have a responsibility to make sure we teach our children that that's not a way to show love and care and kindness. And so you know, I teach my son since he was very little was that, you know, when kids are being mean like that, it means they're hurting. They're hurt and they're craving attention and love. And so the ones that are hurting you are the ones of the most. So be extra kind to them. And he really wrestles with this. And I sometimes wrestle with it too. You know, it's like, and you look around now, it's like, people are just so entitled and they think that they're just, you know, I'm supposed to get my way. And don't talk to me like that. You know, it's like right. everywhere you look, people are getting offended, you know? And to me, it's like, I, you know, I want to spread more kindness. I want to spread more love and joy mm-hmm. and letting people know that somebody does love them and somebody does care about them. Yeah. And the reason why they're being the way they're being is because they're hurt. Yeah. Hurt people hurt people. And so kids can be mean, but it's because they're hurting. They want attention. They want affection. They actually really do like you. And it's funny because my son and I, we've done a lot of experiments with his own friends in the school and he's starting to get the realization like, okay, maybe mom's onto something, you know, and how do I help him transform, you know, creating these stories that's going to affect his belief someday. Like I'm not worthy. I'm not smart enough. I don't look good enough or I'm not, you know, right now he's one of the tallest kids in his class. And it's like, Carter, you're perfectly the height you were created to be. Right. You're not too tall. Yeah. Right. And and because uh, I was small. <laughs> and so, again, it's just this journey of loving every part of you, the good, yeah. the bad, the ugly, forgiving yourself, loving yourself, accepting yourself and knowing that this container that I was born into is actually perfect. Yeah. I- Everything that happened was perfect. Yeah, this, yeah, this thing of learning to not internalize these outside messages that are constantly fed to us. And even Mm -hmm. as adults, I mean, you see it on social media and maybe it's not as direct as when we were kids and they tease you for being short. I got teased for wearing boys clothes. Like maybe it's not that direct anymore, but then you look at social media and the constant messaging is that I'm not feminine enough looking for a woman my age. And like that Mm -hmm. should be a bad thing and so learning how to like not internalize that and mm-hmm. it's just watching Elise Myers on TikTok and she's I loved it because she's like the, the day I realized I was the hottest person ever solved all my problems yeah. and like there's like I want to say that like by conventional standards she would be average but I can't even say that now because like she's right and I like so I've been playing with that myself of like looking in the mirror and just being like 
damn, mm-hmm. I look good today. And some days mm-hmm. I feel weird saying that. And some days yeah. I'm like, wait, no, no, actually I do. And like, yeah. you know, and dealing with like this, I mentioned before we hit record, like I, the surgery on my chest changed how my body physically looks. Right. And I'm like wrapping my brain around looking at a new body after 38 years of seeing a different mm-hmm. body. And I'm like, oh, it's not bad. It's, mm-hmm. it's just different. And like, yeah finding, I got a couple different shirts that sit on my body a little different. I'm like, Oh, Oh, okay. We're fine. We got this. Like, this is good. Like, you know, and learning to just trust ourselves with these. Yeah. And think about it. I mean, every culture and every social environment is different and it's all about what are we being fed to believe what we believe? Yeah. What is this idea of what looking like a f- powerful female looks like and how right. she should be addressed and all that stuff. And it's like, you know, what if we took on the possibility that this is all wrong? Right. It's all wrong. Yeah. You know, and then be given a clean slate to believe and create the beliefs that I feel like is going to empower us and make us feel amazing. You know, one part of my coaching activity that I, I put my clients through is to, it's the mirror exercise. You might've heard of this too. It's looking in the mirror and spending five minutes and, and then journaling what that experience is like. Mm, yeah so setting a timer and looking at yourself naked and and seeing the thoughts and writing everything down that you experience and feel and think as you're sitting there looking at yourself and then what's that journey of transformation look like as at the end of the week and after the first week then the 30 days and it's one of the hardest exercises to do initially I believe that yeah yeah <clears throat> and so there's a lot of power in transformation when you can transform the beliefs about yourself. And then I always tell people what is showing up for you externally is what's happening inside of you. And yes. so your external world looks like crap and it's static and it's bleh, then maybe it's an opportunity for you to reflect that mirror back towards yourself to see what's going inside of me and how am I creating this? How can I create it differently? And that's the hardest part of the work. Yeah. It, it's not easy. And there's so many people that are growing through life right now that are very inauthentic mm-hmm. to themselves and to each other. And, you know, while I sometimes say it's, it's a sad thing, it's also like, it's, you know, they just don't have the awareness. Yeah. They don't, but yet they wonder why their job is so crappy and why they're not making the money they want to make and why they're not losing the weight they want to lose, you know? And it's like taking a deeper look and taking sole responsibility. And I don't mean that as a pun. It really is. It's like, right. you know, I always look inward before I start looking out there because I was taught the complete opposite growing up. Yeah. And that was a hard thing for me to realize. I was avoiding responsibility. I was avoiding growing up. Mm-hmm. And when I finally took my power back was the day when I realized it's my responsibility to own all my stuff. Mm-hmm. It's nobody's fault. It's not my boyfriend's fault. It's not my father's fault. It's not my sister's fault. It's not my teacher's or my job's fault that I got fired, whatever it is that's going on in your head. It was nobody's fault. Right. Right. And so, yeah, I, I, I love conversations about this. And that's why I feel like, you know, my clients have a complete awareness and sometimes it scares the crap out of them. And sometimes they're just like, oh my God, I can't get enough. Because nobody teaches us this stuff. No. There's so many life coaches out there right now, which is great, but I don't consider myself a life coach. I I just, you know, consultant and I'm a, you know, I'm an ever evolving student of life. And I feel like my purpose is really to just be able to share as much as I can on myself and, and to give as much as I can to help somebody else and then be compensated well so that I can take care of my son and myself, you know, and do more for other people. So and there's no shame in that. So, yeah, I just, you know, so that question that people ask me, what do you do? What's your business? It's like, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> I really, I have to pause a little bit. It's like, at the end of the day, it's like, I just love pouring into people. I love learning about life. I love exploring and diving into like where, what does your soul want? Right. And what is the purpose of that? Right. And then how do I help the people that I really want to help is how do I create that message so that you can attract 
the people that you were meant to serve and in the right platform. Yeah. I mean, some people are talking to the wrong audience and they wonder why they're not getting the results they want. <laughs> it's like, because you're not being authentic to yourself. Yeah. Or they're working on the, I was just talking to somebody and they were kind of going on about a project they're working on. And I was like, but is this the project you want to be doing? Like, I don't see the same usual enthusiasm. They're like, no, but I was like told it was the one that would sell the best or sell the easiest or like, you know, that that's what the people wanted. And I'm like, yeah, but if you don't want it, who gives a shit? Like the rest of it's irrelevant. Yes. If you aren't committed yeah. to it and excited by it. Yep. Yeah. Boundaries. Yeah. That's a tough one for a lot of people. It's, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, it, yeah. Because I, I always tell clients too, it's like, if I start feeling resentful of the work, that means I'm not showing up as myself. And and not only am I lying to you, but I'm lying to myself and to avoid all that. I'm very transparent. Yeah. I turned away a hundred thousand dollar client earlier this year. Yeah. It was the hardest thing because I could have really used that money, but I knew in my soul and my heart that this just wasn't a good fit. There was too many red flags and variables. And so it's that voice that comes up once in a while and you hear, everybody hears it. I tell my son, you hear that voice. And sometimes we, we ignore that voice because we want to be liked and accepted by everybody. You know, we want our right. friends to just go with the flow. It's like, no, that voice is there for a reason. Yeah. yeah. And so when I listen to that and I, I can discern whether it's my fear or whether it's my intuition or gut telling me that in my heart, I just knew like this wasn't a right fit. Yeah. As much as this money, like I could now officially say I had a hundred thousand dollar client. <laughs> right. There were too many of the things that I was not willing to sacrifice in order to kind of like sell my soul. Mm-hmm. And, and so I had to decline. Yeah. And although it kind of crushed me for a little bit, I realized now in hindsight here, we're in October. And I'm like, thank goodness I did it. Right. I mean, there's and, that, that yeah. saying of like for every yes to say one thing, you're saying no to something else. And so like yeah. what has happened since you've said no to that client? Whether yeah. that's just your physical and mental health and your well-being because you didn't take on the wrong client mm-hmm. to all of the other opportunities that you wouldn't have been able to say yeah. yes to because you'd be too busy yeah. jamming so that project out. Somebody is listening to this right now somewhere out there and, and I, I get it. And when you first start your business, it's like you're trying to take on every job because it's going to pay the bills. And many of us gave away free speaking opportunities because we were just trying to get on stage and get our name out there. And I get it. But as you get older, as you get wiser, as you start realizing that everybody is for me yeah, and being okay with not self-negative talk and guilting and shaming yourself, like beating yourself up for why didn't I take that job? You know, it's more about, again, it's self-respect and self-love. I love myself. I respect myself. I honor myself knowing that I would not show up a hundred percent as myself doing the work that I know is going to be required for me to do this. And not only that, I look, I want to do work with integrity and I want to serve the people that has integrity. Yeah. And so if I feel like, and you know, there's a disconnect with alignment and beliefs and vision it's like I'm you know that's a very tough spot I had to learn this lesson the very hard way after taking so many jobs because I needed the money and why some things fell apart why I didn't get paid and it's like you know I've learned that lesson one too many times not to make the same mistake and now that a hundred thousand dollars on the line it's like that's what all those little things are leading little tests yeah yep Yep. so so I honored myself like you know it was awesome very tough decision. And, and, you know, I declined it with out of love and respect for myself and for him. Yeah. And I think in the end, it's like, he, it made him respect me more as a woman. Right. Because anybody else would have just taken it, but I'm like, no, I'm not willing to do that. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I, I just, if anybody wants to talk more about that, I'm like, I'd be happy to, but you know, not every client is going to be for you. No. And I had to get a you know, as a recovering people pleaser, that's what I, you know, I call myself because I do, I, I want to make everybody happy, but yeah, realistically, not everybody's going to be happy. Not everybody's going to like me. Not everybody's going to want to work with me. And, and I had to be okay with that. Yeah. And there's that, more than, I mean, there's more than enough money and business to go around. I don't right. have to serve everybody, you know, yeah. and I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Right. 
I mean, that's a perfect tie-in back to our original, like an earlier point of like standing out and being so individual is like the best asset to have yes. as a person. And and I think we talk about this a lot in business lessons and like how you want to stand out and like the, I forget what they refer to it as, but like when I push people away that aren't a good fit for me, like that's a great approach in marketing. Like I feel the same about friendships too. Like, oh, yes, there are people I sit down to coffee with and I am me to my core and they don't call me again. And that's okay. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, that's Bless them, aspect. love them. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, you know, that's another lesson that we all go through you know, in the journey of life is understanding that we, I, I don't look at it as like, you know, getting rid of toxic people. It's more of where do I honor my space, my honor, my energy, you know, and I'm very, protective of that energy and the three things I ask myself is one is is this is this honoring and respecting me does this contribute to my happiness and is this contributing to the growth of my success in my business yeah and if the answer is no to either one of those I know then it's like you know what I'm not going to make time or give enough or give more of my energy to something that's going to distract me and you know this journey of life is that we outgrow people, you know, there's seasons where we grow out of things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the friendships that I stepped away from, while it was heartbreaking and hard for me to do, I realized I wasn't growing as our friendship wasn't growing. Yeah. We were talking about the same toxic conversations. We were, you know, just regurgitating vomit, mm-hmm. you know, year after year after year and realizing I wanted more out of life instead of having the same conversations. And so I started going around with all my friendships saying, you know what, we've known each other for how many years now? Like, you know, do you find that we keep having the same conversations over and over again? It's like, you know what, I'm committed to being a value. I'm committed to putting love and effort into this friendship. I want to see this grow something more. So we can't have more conversations that's going to contribute to that. Then maybe we need to look at and reevaluate where we should be spending our time. Yeah. And then honoring and loving and respecting each other enough as an adult to say, I love you. And when the time and the space is in alignment for us to reconnect again, I'm going to hold space for you. Right. Yeah. It took a long time for me to say that. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so there were lots of toxic friendships that, you know, I, they just took and took and took from me. Mm-hmm. And I realized that the same energy I was giving to this person was not being reciprocated. And why was I being frustrated, upset and hurt and feeling like I'm all alone? And so guess what? This journey of entrepreneurship in life is you are alone. You're going to be sleeping alone sometimes and you're going to go out alone. It's like, you know, I had to learn that, you know, later in life, like I am my own hero yeah. and I'm not going to put that expectation of somebody else saving me or providing for me. And if I'm lucky and blessed enough to find somebody who can help me contribute to that, great. But if not, I'm okay, you know? So I I say, you know, productivity, time management, energy management is all in. What are you making time and space for? Yeah. I mean, if I have a client that complains, well, I can't get 25, you know, DMs at today's, well, let's just look at how are you spending your time? Right. Why are you taking one hour lunches with people that aren't paying you for that one hour? Yeah. What are you talking about in that one hour? (laughs) You know, or one and a half hours. It's like, stop letting people pick your brain. Yes. You know, and then being frustrated about it afterward. It's like, you know, I don't learn that really quickly too. It's like, no, you know, we all have value. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. And I had to learn after many, many mistakes of how do I manage my energy better? so that I can manage my time. Yeah. yeah, I'll never forget my mentor, Marcy, Miss Marcy, I love her. She was my first mentor back in the Midwest and to this day, we're still friends and we still talk, but I remember her telling me like, Selena, it's not about your time. Cause I always thought like, I'm running late to my appointments. I'm running over my meetings. I'm forgetful and I don't show up for my clients sometimes. And I got to cut my meetings short because of misuse of my time. And she stopped me and she's like, wait a minute. Take some responsibility, Selena. And I was like, oh crap. She's calling me out my crap. She says, it's not about time management. She's like, it's your energy. You're not managing your energy. And when she told me that, I was like, wow, you're right. So I stopped the people pleasing. 
I stopped the giving advice and teaching. Right. Yep. And yeah, I started figuring out who was worthy of my energy today. What energy am I pouring into this project in front of me? That's going to move me forward towards my goals. Yeah. Right. Yep. So I love um, that. Yeah. Yeah. It made me look at my productivity day and the things I was doing, whether in business life or family life, mm -hmm. maybe just a lot of things differently. Same. I was going to say, especially since the surgery that I had at the end of last year, like time, it's not about time management anymore. It's energy management. Cause like, I literally only have so Mm -hmm. much energy brain capacity on any given day. And yet I have been just as productive this past year as the year before when I was routinely staying on my desk for eight or 10 hours a day. And I'm like, how, how, why, if I had been this focused with those eight hours back then, like I would be queen of the world by now. And so it's funny that like, I work vastly less hours now, but I'm more productive. I feel better. I can quote unquote clock out and like go engage with my husband and have energy for him or for Mm -hmm. my friends and like have that capacity to give them what they deserve out of that relationship. I love it. I love it. So I love that you said that because it is, it's really evaluation of yourself as far as like, how are you showing up for people? And I remember sitting in my office on those days, putting in, you know, for eight to 10, 12 hours and beating my head against the wall. Like, why am I not putting out content? Why is this not coming easy for me? And I'm fighting myself. And then being angry and resentful of the work, yeah. realizing like my body is telling me this is not the time. And sometimes the best thing is to just turn off the computer, shut off the phone and go for a walk. Yep. And realizing that when I can focus my energy on something that's going to make me feel at peace and whole, I can come back to my computer later and just crank out all kinds of stuff in less than two hours. It's like, what? Yep. So, yep. I love it. I love it. So yeah, that that's probably one of the best lessons I learned too. It's just, yeah. you know, and, and I teach a lot of this too, with a lot of companies that are having, now that they're having, you know, a shortage <laughs> and how do we increase productivity for our employees that are burnt out? It's like yeah. looking at well, what are they focusing on and how are you encouraging and nurturing their energy? Yeah putting things in place to allow more time for other things outside of the office and having flexible work hours, because that's important to people. Yeah. So, you know, when I look at wasteful management and wasteful resources, that's a huge topic that comes up for productivity and, and happy employees. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. This has been an amazing conversation and I'm sure we could sit and chat all day oh, I know. <laughs> for the sake of both of our time real quick. If people want to learn more about you, find out, find you, hire you, where can they find you online? Absolutely. So my, my website is www.stonemediasource.com. It's all one word S T O N E. M-E-D-I-A-S-O-U-R-C-E. I am going through some rebranding right now as I'm evolving. And so you can find me there. I'm on all social media under Selena Stone and Stone Media Source as well. If you've made it to this point in the show, I want to give you a huge thank you for listening and hanging out with me. And I really hope this is just the beginning of our conversation. I love hearing from each and every one of you. So please reach out to me via email or on the socials and let me know what you think. Also, if you know somebody that needs to hear today's message, send them this episode. Who knows? You might just change their life.